Hello and welcome to the second episode of the MCV Develop Podcast. Um, my name is Richard Shoemaker and I'm here with my psychic Vince. Hello. Thanks, Vince. Today we're talking to Kim Parker Adcock, the founder and owner of One Player Mission, previously known as OPM, of course, an award-winning recruitment consultancy that's been matching games industry people with their dream jobs for more than 25 years. In close alignment with that, Kim is also the vice chair of mental health awareness charity, Safe in a World. Welcome, Kim. Hello. Thank you for uh, having me, Rich and uh, Richie and Vince. An absolute pleasure, of course. Um, we're going to do this in, in two parts, basically. We'll, 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 we'll get to your story, I think, in the second half. But um, yeah. let's start with a subject that's been dominating the news mm. pretty much the whole of the year, which is the... Uh, the unending uh, series of redundancy and restructuring announcements that, that's, that's been going on. Um, according to the latest Games Jobs, uh, Games Jobs Live report, the number of openings in the UK uh, industry is at its lowest for three years, I think, um, since COVID, yeah. down 11% um, in October compared to September. Is that in line with, with what you're seeing? And, and do you expect things to get worse before they get better? I think every time we think it can't get worse, it does. Mm. Um, It's very difficult because I heard at Gamescom 2022 that companies were already having their funding cut. Um, And I've seen this from two sides. So firstly, obviously, during COVID, everybody was at home playing games. Um, The industry blew up. We had two record years in the whole 25 years. Everybody needed staff. Everyone was clamouring for the extra funding. I think the funding in the industry had gone up from 800 million to 7.6 billion that was available or something. So everybody wanted a piece of that. And there was a market there at that stage for that. What's happening now? Yes, partly is right sizing. Um, But also, I think this year in particular, people are going out more than they ever have. Every event I've been to, every beach, every dog walk, there's more people out there now um, than before COVID. So I think this year, it's kind of been a reformation. And I think, again, that will calm down by next year. Um, the interest rates are probably going to help that, I guess. Um, you know, but it's interesting when people say there's no money around and you go to any pub, any restaurant, any holiday destination, and they're absolutely rammed. So I think there is still spending money out there. People have just chosen to use it for something else. So I'm praying for a really harsh winter. Sorry, everybody. Um, so everybody stays in and plays games again. <laughs> Might be a bit selfish, but uh, um, will it get worse? I, I think we're coming to the end of it now. We are seeing new funding coming in. We are getting new clients contact us, which is cool, um, because if they're starting up, they don't necessarily want to commit to having internal HR function or recruitment function because then they're committed to it. You know, and we're seeing... Um, ex-colleagues even who are now being made redundant as recruiters which you never thought would happen I mean I lost every single member of my sales team except for my three long-standing team leads over a year and a half and all of them went into internal games so um, we've had to rebuild completely and uh, and thankfully we're still here Um, I also didn't spend too much of the money that we made in those boom years so that's, you know, that's what we're we're using at the moment because things absolutely, you know, I think from the peak of of the um, the boom where we had over 700 jobs, we're down to somewhere between a third and a half of that now. You know, we're having to be very careful about who we work with. Um, and, you know, there's an awful lot of candidates on the market right now, but they're not all going to be right for the jobs that are out there. And some will just say, I can't go through this again. I did it once in the recession 
Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hearing we've got a lot of companies at the moment saying talk to us in January. Um, we've got one that said they're not picking up recruitment till June. Mm. But that is somebody who hired over 500 people during during that period. Um, so I think there will still be some right sizing. Everybody's got to assess the market. We, we had somebody leave. Two people actually got headhunted by Meta. Um, and went on salaries that frankly made me cry because it was more than I was earning and uh, it, it just ridiculous. But I said back then, this is unsustainable. It won't carry on. We all need to make hay while the sun shines in this industry and then save it for a rainy day because this will end. And sure enough, it did. I didn't know how dramatically it would end. Um, but just, you know, the, the number of, of, of vacancies, we were looking at how many people we placed. Um, and the salaries, I think, is, had a lot to do with that. You know, some people were being paid way more than even they thought they were worth because the clamouring to get the talent while that funding was out there and, and make your game and hit your milestones and, you know, make sure you've got the money secured. Um, it was, yeah, it was a bit crazy. It was a bit crazy. So, yeah, well, exactly when it will pick up is down to very individual circumstances. Um, for the whole industry, Christmas sales is going to be, uh, you know, a really big benchmark. Mm. And what are the effects of these kind of uh, time periods? Are you seeing a lot of people leave the industry? Um, they all want to stay in. I mean, we have said to people, look, you know, if you have to get something in outside the industry, um, just get a job. You know, I think because everybody will know the story, um, you know, there's stats and story and everything, isn't there? So I think because everybody will know the story when things pick back up, as long as they've kept their skills fresh, they keep in touch with the industry, um, they keep working on stuff and they still know what's going on out there, particularly technology wise, um, you know, they will they will be able to rejoin. The danger is that also, you know, not just in the, the games jobs survey, but other surveys we've seen and certainly what we've witnessed um, apart from the junior end of things, the more senior people are paid more in other industries. And it's very much like I, I've been a horsey girl all my life. And the number of girls that work for peanuts to be around horses, the games industry is very much the same. It's more a vocation a lot of the time. It's, you know, it's almost a calling. And people will accept less money to work on something that exciting and be right on the cutting edge. And that's, you know, that's the big thing this industry has in its favour. Um, so, yeah, we've seen a couple of people leave. Um, but, you know, those who have now got fantastic games on their CVs, they don't want that to, to finish. So uh, I don't think we'll lose too many. But, you know, if there aren't jobs here, they've got to go somewhere else. The problem is that the rest of the technology industry is suffering just the same. I've never been inundated with so much spam from outsourcers. Sorry, outsourcers, not everything is spam. Um, but, but outsource testing, localization, IT companies, sourcing companies, look at, you know, re, um, talent acquisition companies all over the world looking to support. You know, it's, that, that gives you an idea of how active everybody has to be in BD at the moment. And we will all have to learn to live lean again which thankfully I've been through several times <laughs> since one flight mission started. Is this period any different though? I mean, is this, I mean, yes. there's a lot of talk of it being very cyclical and, and I yeah. think we all understand that, but is this rut we're in, I guess, is it, is it any deeper than any other? Or I, I feel it is. I think the fear is deeper this time. Um, you know, certainly as far as people's stress levels go and, and not knowing who's going to get you know, hit next because people don't know now the companies are bigger and they don't always know what deals are being done in the background. Um, so, yeah, there is that fear if your game's coming to the end and you don't know what's going to happen next. Um, I have not seen like this before in the 30, 
two years that I've now been in the industry. Even the last recession wasn't like this because it was more gradual. And I think that's what's caused the, the, the real stress about this is, the, is how fast this has happened. Um, but we know we looked back. Obviously, I'd, I'd spoken at Gamescom and, and found out that funding was already being pulled. And we've looked back and, and jobs were going down from 2022. So there were signs, but we thought, well, you know, it was all just a bit crazy and it'll just level out again. Um, and I think a lot of it is fear and we don't know what will happen and we don't know if we'll get funding and, you know, we, we don't know uh, what, what, what happened with the company. And it's not our company with you know with the developers and publishers and companies you would never have dreamt would be in trouble their burn rates are an awful lot higher than everybody else's the bigger the business the bigger the risk and um unfortunately that's when people become numbers on a balance sheet which is tragic so it sounds like you're kind of a barometer for (laughs) for these things coming and we should probably listen a bit more um, (laughs) to people like you you we've said that for a while but yeah so thanks for the recognition (laughs) So how difficult as as a business then? Um, I mean, because obviously you guys make your money by successfully filling positions. Um, I mean, how challenging is it to operate when there are more people chasing fewer jobs? It it is challenging. Um, you know, obviously, pure maths, you can work it out. There's lots of people in the market. And I know I was talking to one of my team leads yesterday who had a person at final and we were told an offer was coming. And then the very next day, two companies made an announcement. They were letting lots of people go. And the client literally said, well, sorry, but we're going to put your candidate on hold because we're going to look at all of those first. And, you know, I understand they have to pay us a fee, um, but, I've, you know, I've seen mistakes like this happen before. You, you can't, you know, if our candidate is the best candidate, that's the person you need, regardless if it's going to cost you a bit more money. Um, it's an investment. And obviously we have insurance on our candidates anyway. So if they do drop out, people get money back. It's that simple. And um, we've actually enhanced that and we've actually got a bit of a, a winter sale going on where we're offering better rates um, just to help the industry get back going again. And, you know, some clients have actually said, look, you know, we'd love to take you up on it, but right now we can't commit to, you know, to recruiting new people anyway. Um, So, yeah, as I say, it's just a good job. I didn't go out and, you know, buy the the dream house or anything major, Um, (laughs) you know, but you do, I think because I've seen this before, I know not to go and start spreading the champagne around because, you know, we're back on lemonade money again. Um, and it's all about sustainability and being resilient. And, you know, I think when you've been through it a few times, you kind of see the signs very early. I was literally about to put my house on the market last year and realised something wasn't right. It was about, I think, June, July, and just cancelled the appointment with the agent, just said, no, we're just going to sit tight for a while and see what happens. And uh, just as well, I did. So, yeah, you know, I, I can't say that we're making a massive profit right now. Um, but luckily, the team I now have, have all been with me. Well, I think the team leads have all been with me. I think Mitch came back from Meta, so that was a bonus um, because he got made redundant along with Gary. At, at the, you know, after six and seven months with Meta, um, they all got let go. You know, I think Meta had, mm. they, they were the classic sign actually of people aren't going to live online. It's just that simple. They don't want to. Um, so you know, for us, I think that certainly changed the games that are being made out there. That you know, if it's a big online world yes there'll always be people that are going to play it but the mobile industry has been massive and we're still seeing good growth in that believe it or not so people are still playing lots of games on their phones including myself (laughs) so um yeah i think that's you know that's what's different and yes they are i think one who was i speaking to yesterday and they said they'd had they'd announced that they'd got a new studio opening and they got 15 emails on the first day and 40 over that weekend um people wanting to work on their jobs 
So, you know, because we, we during the boom, and this has happened many times in the past, when there's a boom, other, other recruitment industries try to get in on the act. So we get IT recruiters in and we, you know, and they've only got to make a couple of placements and people will start using them and it dilutes the market for everybody. But then during tough times, they don't have the network. Um, and, and obviously we do. So, yeah, it really is. It is tough for, for recruitment companies. It's tough for internal recruiters at the moment. Um, and candidates, you know, we've been told they, they panic when they hear about it and they just apply for everything, which, of course, is easy these days. You click on a link on LinkedIn and, you know, and you'll, you'll see these out there. So the workload hasn't slowed down at all. Um, and, we're, you know, we're registering everybody we think is, is good enough to be placed, if not now, in the future, because we know what, you know, what standards are genuinely expected in normally under normal circumstances um, accepted. And obviously our standards are incredibly high. You know, we can only send the triple A's, um, which is what we specialise in. So, yeah, it, it is tough, but we'll come through it. We always have. We always will. And uh, maybe I'll retire at some point after <laughs> two recessions in close succession. Um, that, that seems to be getting further away from me at this point. But good job. I still love it, isn't it? <laughs> you, you talked about the, the fear that people have is, is probably what makes this period different. So, you know, that ties into your, to your role as a mental health advocate. I mean, how are you seeing people affected by redundancy or the threat of redundancy it's that i think that at the moment people feel like they've got it coming from all angles you know first interest rates have gone up so if they've got a mortgage or they're renting either way um your rent or your mortgage is going to have gone up we're now seeing potentially and i often look at the housing market because i feel we kind of follow whatever the housing market's doing kind of um you know directs how people are going to recruit because now people might not be able to move because either they couldn't get a new mortgage or they couldn't afford a new mortgage or their house isn't going to be worth enough to make that happen. What we've got to do at the moment is really look at the um, the elegant solutions and recognise that people, even though they, they might not be made redundant or they might worry that they might be next, some people fear change. And so they'll make that change happen rather than wait for it and suffer with that adrenaline fatigue, um, waiting for the axe to fall. They'll actually leave because they think they might, even if, you know, they might actually be perfectly safe. They just have to get out of there. And, you know, that's quite common. Um, but, uh, the, you know, financial stress is one thing. The, the being left high and dry with no job and there's a million people applying for every vacancy. Um, that is terrible. And people have got to try and help themselves through that. Um, so we've got a whole piece on on the Safe in Our World website about redundancy and how to support yourself and keep looking after yourself and not give up. So it's worth going and having a look at our content. Um, I know Sky's written an amazing piece um, that's gone out recently. And there, there are lots and lots of resources on our website. It's very difficult for people to admit they need help. And a lot of people who will be feeling or kind of knowing in their heart right now that they they really do need some help. Um, we'll find it very difficult to admit that. It feels like a weakness. It's not. It's the polar opposite of that. Accepting that you need help and going and talking to somebody, anybody, whether it's a, a medical professional, whether it's um, a friend, a colleague, a parent, it doesn't matter who it is. Just get it out. I mean, I have to say the, the Samaritans, you can ring the Samaritans and talk about anything and there will be somebody there to listen and, and I think the benefit also, if you do manage to get um, coaching or counselling, 
is that somebody completely removed from your situation. So you can be 100% honest. You don't have to carry the world on your own. And there will be somebody there to at least get it out. And a lot of the time, the old saying, a problem shared is a problem halved, um, is absolutely true. So just talking to anybody, and I know, you know, particularly men are not, don't find this easy at all, um, which is why the suicide rates are so much higher for young men than they are for young women. And we we need to change that um, as a community, as a games community, and give people those opportunities make sure there is a mechanism in your company um and some you know if you've got the funding bigger companies are great we've just launched a service um in line we've done a collaboration with a company specializing in all of this um because we could have said oh it's us and then just you know send a consultant that actually isn't us at all we're more transparent than that um they're the experts you know we can't proclaim to be experts in that so we can connect people we've got a discounted rate for companies as well you know they might feel uncomfortable talking to an agency about it but at the end of the day everything we do is under nda so you know if we can help and facilitate that support within the business to make people not have to suffer as badly as they're going to i mean it, it traditionally redundancies in november which has always struck me as massively uncool and very cruel leading up to Christmas. And I think that's also the big difference with what we're seeing now. This has gone beyond the seasonal change that we frequently see. And, you know, and it started a long time ago. And here we are, you know, in November and and hoping it's about to peter out. So, you know, maybe it's easier. It's never easy, but maybe it's better that it's earlier in the year. It's all happened. But um yeah, I mean, the, I think the announcements that are coming out, the companies that don't, you don't expect, if anybody is a bit anxious out there or is already, you know, struggling with their mental health, that's a dangerous time and they, they do need to talk to somebody about it. And and seriously, if you need to go on medication temporarily, just do it. It's a tool for living. You know, if you have a sore arm, you'll put some Arnica on it. If you cut yourself, you put a plaster on it. Mental health support drugs are a tool for life. I'll never forget going to my doctor years ago when I first started One Player Mission, um, or Opium Responses it was back then. Um, I didn't sleep through the night. I woke up between three and five in the morning every single day for five years. And when I finally got the guts up, um, you know, because I'm a bit of a strong woman and you don't like to admit your weaknesses. And I finally went to my doctor and just said, I can't live like this anymore. And she said, you should have come sooner. She said, when I do nights, I take a sleeping pill the next night because I need that tool to make me sleep so I can do my job. And that completely switched my perspective. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a big message. I know, you know, people don't like to talk about it. And do talk to your employer. You will be astounded at the support that most of them give. I mean, particularly people who are members of our Level Up program. Um, it is a conversation that isn't quite so taboo anymore. And I always encourage people to admit that. I had somebody years ago who hid their mental health condition from me for five and a half years and then had a major breakdown and we didn't know what the heck was going on. It was horrendous. And um, that person ended up being sectioned three times, threatened to kill me. We had to have police involved. I'd morphed into their mother in a meeting. Don't let yourself get to that point and don't become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, You know, there's nobody to blame for all of this. This is happening all over the world. It's a pretty, you know, it's a sad place right now, but you've got to yeah. be able to Well, it's, it's very difficult for people not to take it personally, I suppose, as well. And oh, very much. Yeah, very much. Very much. But, you know, that maybe maybe being a number on a, on a, on a spreadsheet um, is helpful to people who feel like that. But, yes, it is. And, I, you know, I know when I'm telling my story of how I, I started One Player Mission, the rejection 
um, from somebody you trust or you thought you could trust, you know, that 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 can be really damaging. And you, you've just got to recognise that, you know, companies, there's nobody in the world who wants to make redundancies. There's nobody who wants to put somebody in that position. Um, so, yeah, as long as you've been a, a good employee and, and nice and not been a dick, as I think as the saying goes, um, <laughs> you know, it, it won't be personal. Absolutely not. Yeah. So as a side effect, I think, uh, you know, redundancies mean restructuring, which means yeah. companies might take that opportunity to, to, to shift, you know, uh, working practices, I suppose. I mean, yeah. are you seeing, say, as a result of this or um, alongside these changes that, that you know, re- remote working and hybrid working might take a bit of a hit? Yeah, I think they will. And, and to be honest, I... <sighs> it's a tough one for me because I hate working at home. I get lonely. I'm a people person. That's why I'm in recruitment. That's why I love games because people talk to each other all the time. Um, It's it's a difficult one. Um, The restructuring happens anyway, and this industry moves faster than anything else. Believe me, you know, what what one desk looks like on one day day and what the job titles could be in six months completely completely different. Um, So, yeah, regarding remote working, we're fully remote now. But like a lot of companies, we've discovered that some people are better remote working, some people don't change, and some people just aren't suited to it. And we've certainly experienced that in our own team um, with a lot of the new people that we brought in, trying to train people remotely and trying to have them understand your culture and represent your culture and how we do things it's only when we get together on our quarterly gatherings which we're actually now making monthly um, because people are starting to recognize that the benefits of being together as a group you know you you hear stuff that goes on you see people you understand their body language you know 55 percent of our communication is body language and if you're on zoom you only see half of that um, I forgot how tall one of my members of staff was, and I've known him since he was a boy. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's those kinds of things that if you can't see, you know, you don't see the whole person and you, you don't understand how your communication affects them and they don't understand how your their communication affects you. And particularly in a creative environment, you know, I, I don't know how they do it remotely. I think it's remarkable. Um, but we have seen and it's been proven that there is potentially a 20% drop in productivity because of it. Now, this isn't because people can't be trusted and they're sitting there and, you know, painting their nails, drinking coffee and putting the washing on. Um, they just, people get energised by other people. And, um, you know, that that group energy, you can't underestimate that. Um, So I think at one point we looked and I think only 25 percent of our jobs were fully, fully, truly, fully remote. But we reckoned about 83 percent of our candidates wanted remote. So there's this massive more than 50 percent difference in what people are looking for and what they want. Um, so what people think feel works for them as a person and what the companies feel works for them as a business. And we have to remember, these are businesses. They're meant to make money. Um, so it's all very nice to have a nice life, you know, like work-life balance. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we've got to remember that working remotely was at a point where it was impossible to do anything else. And it's no longer considered a privilege. Um but actually it is. And I think maybe with all these people on the market, you know, we're forever talking to candidates who will only take somebody if it's completely remote and we just haven't got much to offer them. So I think it might balance it out. You know, I think, you know, I mean, I think it was Amazon the other week announced that everybody's got to be in for three days a week and they've given all their man managers permission to fire people if they refuse. 
unless there's an extenuating reason. I mean, some people have only taken the job because their personal circumstances dictate that they have to be at home um, if they're caring for somebody or, you know, if they've got ability issues, et cetera. It could be anything. Um, but, you know, I think this is what people really need to remember, that, that this working from home in a, in a time when we don't actually physically, um, you know, health-wise need it is a privilege. And you have to be really, really good to be allowed to do it. It would be a shame if it went away altogether, though. Like, I don't think it will. like games like Spider Man Two, like Insomniac lets you work from wherever the hell you want, and that game's yeah, amazing. Yeah, exactly. And some companies have absolutely nailed it, and they've done it forever. And you know, we've got a client that um, we took on this week actually, and they've got people all over the world. You know, in little hubs and individuals, and you know, that's just how they've always done it, and they always they already had that in place um, before COVID. So, you know, some people have absolutely nailed it, but then they have to employ a certain type of person. And, you know, if you've got a proven track record of being successful in your job during the time that you've been remote, you've got a much better chance of, um, you know, of actually getting another job that's remote. But some companies, you know, just said, no, that's it. It's, you know, we'll be back to the office. And that's that's more and more. And I work with a, a growth coach for my business and we are now the only, he only works with recruitment businesses and we're now the only one that's still fully remote. So it's not just developers and publishers, it's some um, service companies as well. Anyway, it can't be all bad news for jobs and recruitment. <laughs> what have been the positive changes you've seen recently and what makes you hopeful for the future? Um, the positive thing is I, I, I really believe that companies now value their people more than they ever did, um, which makes probably making them redundant even harder. Um you know, they had to recruit an awful lot of people during the during the tough times. And those that went there for the right reasons, not just because they paid a bit more money, um, they, you know, they really are recognised. And I think also the, the, the whole mental health aspect now, it's a lot more widely accepted. You know, people are a lot more tolerant. I mean, I, I'm naturally drawn to quirky people and those quirky people quite often have mental health um, situations in their lives and they really make the difference in this industry. You know, anybody who's autistic um, or on the spectrum, which we all are, but just varying degrees, you know, they see things from a different world. And I think that that's definitely been, um, but, you know, that's the one big thing I think that's come out of this is the, the recognition and appreciation for your staff and making sure you look after them. And, you know, equally, staff really appreciate that. And you will get a lot more back from staff who feel they've been looked after when times were tough. And, um, you know, and they will give, you know, at least, if not more back than you've ever given them. So I think that's definitely a positive that's come out of this. The whole mental health, I mean, we could not, I I wasn't part of the launch of Safe in Our World. I joined about a couple of weeks later um, when I met up with Leo and he just said, you need to be a trustee because I was actually launching my own and they launched first. And I thought, I'm going to look stupid if I launch mine now. So I went and met with them and that's how I joined. And then they made me vice chair. Still can't quite work that one out. But, um, you know, the, the timing couldn't have been better. You know, October four years ago was really when things were starting to to kick off and we started to, you know, COVID arrived just just shortly after that. And um, suddenly it was okay to say that your mental health was suffering Mm. and, and, you know, employers were asking, is your mental health suffering? Now, I don't I don't hold with being, you know, it's cool to have a diagnosis. I don't like that. I don't like when people call it my anxiety, my depression, because then you own it. You know, it's an illness. It's a condition. 
Um, and if you define yourself by that, then I don't think that you're representing yourself very fairly because there's an awful lot more to people than the medical. You know, it's like me walking around saying, well, you know, my asthma, I own my asthma. Um, I don't define myself like that. So I think there's a danger in that. But, yeah, definitely the appreciation and the caring and the number of companies that are setting up, you know, not just the the, um, the Safe in Our World um, toolkit using that and becoming a level up uh, member with us. But companies are doing their own. And, you know, there's a lot out there. A lot of, lot of people are starting to recognise it and support these kinds of charities. And I think that is it's a sad fact, but it's a good fact because I think it's been hidden under the table for such a long time. Yeah, as someone who's been uh, in and out of therapy since I was a teenager, I'm just really glad the stigma's falling away. Yeah. Like, it's nice to be able to just talk about it and just be honest. Yeah, I recommend counselling. I've been through it twice, and um, it it was life-changing, completely life-changing, and hypnotherapy. Yeah. So, other than seeking out mental health support, which everyone should do, I agree with you, uh, what advice would you give people that are going through the redundancy process? Is there anything else you can suggest? Well, firstly, work on your CV. Um, I do a lot of work on on writing CVs of students, but actually it tends to be the more experienced people in the industry who haven't really had to write one and rely on their LinkedIn. Um, And there's more to people than just their LinkedIn. Um, Really, I mean, I do a whole hour talk on this, on on putting a CV together and nailing an interview. Um, But working on your CV, because people still work with CVs, yes, there's a lot of searching goes on on LinkedIn, um, but they will still want a CV because they want to know how you got where you are and you don't always put your whole story on LinkedIn because, you know, it might be pages long. Um, So, you know, certainly I interview from the bottom up, so I want to get to know somebody. You know, why did you make the decisions you made earlier in your career? And I can work out how you got to where you are and therefore where you need to go next. So I would definitely work on your CV because you only get one chance to make a first impression. Um, And these days, some of them go through portals. So you can't, yes, you can apply for jobs through LinkedIn, but a lot go through portals. So if your CV isn't right and doesn't have stuff in there, the keywords, et cetera, that are readable, I mean, don't just fill your CV with that. That would look really boring. Um, But also add your interests and hobbies and why you joined certain companies and why you left them. I love hearing about a reason for leaving. Um, because that really tells me so much about the person and and what genuinely drives them and gives them passion. Um, So I think that's, you know, let people get to know you. Job specs these days have a person spec attached, and it's at least 50% as important as the job spec. So let people get to know who you really are um, and do a good job on your CV and practice interviews, particularly if you haven't had one for a while. Um, there's a lot of resources on our website, but there's loads of other stuff. YouTube is amazing. There's some really good content providers on YouTube that um, that can tell you how to um, go to interviews and such like. And particularly if you do, you know, struggle with your mental health, how you deal with that, you know, is is really important. You've got to be your best self and um, and your true self and be authentic. So yeah, I think that would be the key thing for me is is work on your CV. And if you're in a creative role or in code, work on your demo particularly if you can't use stuff that you've been working on because it's still under NDA. Um, If you've got any personal projects or anything else that you've done, use that, um, but make it discoverable. Don't think that people are going to automatically read your CV and go to your LinkedIn and go to your website. Put everything on the top of your CV, all your links. Um, I had a student recently say, well, I didn't put this on my CV because I've put it on my LinkedIn instead. And I said, well, you think they're going to take your CV, see nothing that's interesting, and then go and check you on LinkedIn? Not going to happen. 
so yeah, I, I think that would be the key piece for me is make sure that you you know that 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 one chance to make a first impression makes a really good one. By that metric, a cover letter is still really important. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Just checking. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm having a flashback to, from when I sent when I sent my first CV into um, to a magazine, and I because I didn't have any um, didn't have any experience or qualifications, mm-hmm. so I thought I'm just going to design a magazine and make it look like the magazine I'm applying for, and uh, it worked. That's a great example. It really is a great example because I know f- for the creative roles, our clients say we look at the demo first, we look at the portfolio first. And then we might go and read the CV. You know, they don't care if you're yellow, purple, pink, three horns, spotted, come from Mars. If you can do the job and they see the, the kind of creative work that they know they can work with, you'll get hired. So, but the CV is still important because they also need to know that you can communicate and represent yourself and, uh, and communicate in a, in, a, um, in a team. But yeah, I love that. I was, I was listening to Stuart's podcast and, uh, you know, that he was like making little magazines himself from eight years old. And I think if you've got that kind of passion, that's amazing. You do your hobby for life. You never work a day, right? <laughs> Welcome back. As we mentioned at the beginning, um, One Player Mission has been going for 25 years. But um, Kim, you've been working in games industry recruitment for as long as games industry recruitment has been a thing. Yeah. How did you get started and what was the appeal of getting into games specifically? So back in 1992, I took a part-time job to fit around my then footballer husband's career. Uh, I was a wag before there was any money in it. And I went to work for a lady called Liz Welsh, who had just started an agency that was going to be executive recruitment around Northampton, which is where we were living. And she had worked for Leisursoft. Um, was it Leisursoft? I think it was. At mm. the time, they were the biggest games distributor in the country. Yes. And um, she had been fired, taken them to tribunal, won, quite rightly so, got some money. Prior to that, she'd run a Brook Street agency, I think, for four years. So she thought, well, nobody really understood what a director was locally. We're two hours from everywhere. Let's open up. So I joined her literally five days in um, because I could type and I would pick the phone up to anybody. (laughs) So that's how I started. And then she started saying to me, she didn't know what her reputation would be. And don't forget, this is before the internet, so she couldn't check. And so I started, she started saying, just ring Jerry Barkley MG, M, at HMV and just ring this person and tell them what you're doing and see what they say. And after a few of those phone calls, people started saying, oh, can you tell Liz, if she comes across somebody like Joe Bloggs or Joanna Bloggs, um, could she send their CV? Because we're, you know, we're looking for somebody. And we started to work on a few vacancies like that. And I can remember about three months in saying to Liz, do you know, I think you could run this business on this industry. And of course, these people were fascinating. They, you know, it was a, it was an industry I'd never had any involvement with. I, don't, I think we had a Pong game back then, which I still have. Um, and, you know, it, it was just a bit of a breath of fresh air for me, having been stuck with football for years. And, um, and sure enough, that's what happened. So Answers Recruitment was the first games recruitment company out there. Um, I know there's others that were around, but they were doing IT. We were definitely the only games company out there. And I can remember um, going to my very first ECTS, as it was back then, European Computer Trade Show, which was at the Design Centre in Islington. And there was all of about 300 people there. There were only two women, and that was Liz and me. 
and I got escorted around the show by a seven-foot yellow cod um, <laughs> from the Codfather game from Millennium Games in uh, in Cambridge. <laughs> that was with a water pistol. Isn't that your, isn't that your favourite game, Vince? It's not. It's one of my favourite Amiga games, but that's RoboCod, isn't it? Yeah, RoboCod. RoboCod that's the one. That's the yeah. one. So yes, he was. Yes, yeah. so. It was at that point, you know, I was all in. <laughs> you just, I think when you get into this industry, you never leave, you know, particularly as a recruiter. We've had lots of people apply over the years just because we do games. So, you know, that that's always been appealing. So, yeah, so that was the appeal. How different were things back then in terms of oh I mean, how you worked, what the roles <laughs> available and how you went about filling them, that kind of thing? I mean, what, how, how was, you know, your working life different? It was, it was completely different. I mean, back then we had post- and if you were posh, which we were, we had a fax machine. <laughs> and so the CVs would arrive in the morning in the post um, or by fax. And I'd then ring everybody and interview them and get, you know, get the profile together and then send the CVs out by post or if they were posh by fax. And then in the afternoon, I'd make phone calls following them all up. So it was it was completely different. I had two. I had a card box for for clients, which I used to order in the time that I was next calling them, not alphabetically, which confused confused the heck out of Liz. And then I had two folders: one with candidate files in it, and the other one with job specs. And that was it. <laughs> so that was how we did it. And we did lots and lots of face to face client meetings. Um, trade shows were great fun back in those days. There were lots of big parties, and you know we kind of arrange to go you know to we'd go for dinner with one crowd we'd go for drinks with another we'd meet others at you know at a, at a party etc it was it was really it was absolutely the heyday you know I don't know maybe it was just my memories but um sounds like Gamescom <laughs> yeah it was it was it was just brilliant and everybody was so friendly and it, you know it was still very cottage industry and still like what you recruit in video games I didn't even think you know that everybody thought oh so you place people who leave school no <laughs> that isn't what an agency does you know we're a consultancy we you know we, we have to find the unicorns um you know the, the new starters tend to be found elsewhere but uh, yeah so that's that's really the biggest change is the technology i mean the job now is incredibly complex it's not just our own database but there's linkedin there's job boards there's you know at least god a dozen portals that we have to learn how to use for clients mm. um everything is email you know you get literally your inbox just fills up as i know this is a problem for everybody um i think i counted once the number of places that people could contact me and it was 25 and sometimes it feels like they're all at once mm. so you know you, you've got your emails coming in you've got your discord coming in if you've got a slack you've got that you've got you know it's just it's constant interruption so trying to get into the flow that i used to have where i had set times i knew what i was going to do i was only working part-time and i still beat all the records there um but that you know you had a very fixed and simple regimen to follow and now it's an incredibly difficult job and obviously there's an awful lot more competition now anyway so you know hats off to my team because i look at what they have to do on a daily basis and they've had to learn to you know manage their social media to do posts and we've got a marketing team who create things for us which are fantastic um you know but but managing the brand of them Everybody has their own personal brand now. So, you know, you have to work on that. And in our experience, that takes at least two years. Um, mm -hmm. So it, there's a whole new gamut of emotion, I think, that goes into it now. You know, they have to buy you, which is, you know, the old thing, everybody buys the person before they buy, buy the, the product or service. But, yeah, there's changed beyond recognition. I think there was a time where recruitment was called the vultures and we were, you know, I think people used to boo 
at the awards, for the recruitment awards. It actually used to boo. And then we had a recession and everybody needed us. They don't boo anymore. Um, so it's been horrible, you know, to be honest. Back then, and plus I was a woman in an incredibly male-dominated industry, which I was kind of used to. My dad was chairman of Colchester United. I married a footballer. I had three sons, you know. I was every, Everything about my life was male-dominated. But, um, yeah, the, the imposter syndrome was strong <laughs> for a long time. And, I, you know, I've had to kind of get, get past that. You know, it's back in the days where if a, if a man was strong in business, he was a good bloke. And if a woman was, um, you know, she was a bit of a bitch. And I'll never forget Stuart, <laughs> the, the early days, I think, when we started winning awards and he would play Maneater as the theme song as I went up on stage. And he'd make sure he played it while I was still up there. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently I'm a Maneater. Who knew? Well, well, I'm, I'm curious about the booing. I mean, was that, was that a sexism thing? Was that, was that the, the role? No, I mean, I, I can't... no it, was, it was just recruiters were seen as, as the vultures that they would, you know, come in and swoop in. I think that was before anybody really headhunted either. You know, these days, our biggest competition is internal recruitment. They're on this stuff way before we are, far more aggressive about it. So, um, yeah, I think that that was, you know, before anybody considered doing it themselves. Um, but we were seen as, you know, as damaging businesses, etc. Well, if people are, you know, back then, if, if people are going to leave, they're going to leave. Mm. Your job is making sure they don't want to. So, yeah, it was it was horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah, the industry were really weird about it back then. Weren't they? The, yeah. In in console games, they'd make you put a nickname instead of your real name, and then people would just know you by like this like seven yeah. letter nickname. Really strange. I, I can remember being at a networking event and going over to talk to somebody I knew had just caught my eye. And as I walked up, the, the chap he was talking to said, "Ah, oh, typical recruiter interrupting our conversation." Sheesh. I was like, really. Well, your your company just became a headhunt target. Um, so <laughs> I just, it was just, you know, who would say that? If I'd been a man, he wouldn't have said it, you yeah. know. And it, God, if I got to take them in the car park and give them a bashing, it would have been great. But you know, that, that that's the biggest change I think I've seen. That nobody cares now. You know, women are more than welcomed in. I think that the, the, the latest survey I saw was that junior um, people coming into games, women are actually being paid more than men. Um, because I think finally they've recognised the contribution. It's not all men playing anymore. You know, it's it's pretty equal out there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's some of the biggest changes. And and yet I'm not. I have to be very careful about positive discrimination, particularly you know in the work that one player mission do. Um, clients do tend to suggest preferences, particularly while diversity is such a hot topic. Um, but we can only send the people we believe are the best for the job. If they choose, you know, certain different people, that's up to them. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that's been the biggest change for me is that the fact that you're a woman, people now do sit up and actually listen. And um, yeah, yeah. But women in games, I, I think, worried me um, because obviously the, the, the industry, particularly when it all started, was was very male dominated. And you know, I'm in a, a tricky position where I don't want to ostracise the men in the industry by you know by suggesting that I'm all about just supporting women. Um, I'm not. I'm about supporting people who are good and, and are nice. Um. Just going back again then to to OPM when you when you set up OPM in ninety eight same year as MCV of course um, yeah what what were the circumstances there because obviously the the you know the recruitment industry was was still pretty young and I guess you were still yeah. you, <laughs> that's when the booze started but um, <laughs> what were the circumstances that led to OPM being established well. It's a bit sad, really. I'd, I'd gone back, I'd had a child, I'd done a couple of years working in football, and I'd gone back to work with answers. And then I was, I, we moved back here. So I was working at Gem Distribution, 
yeah. as a as a product manager, a senior product manager. So that they God, that was brilliant. Paul Paul Donnelly, best boss I've ever had. Big shout out to him. Um, but then because of my divorce, I could no longer commute to Harlow. So I got in touch and said, "Is there anything that you've got that's on the road?" And I was going to have three kids on my own. My boys before nine and eleven at the time, and um, and I went back to to uh, to answers, not realizing that they just needed building up again. And so I did that in sort of two and a half months and then got told I wasn't needed anymore. So, you know, instead of the BMW and five grand rise I was meant to get, I just got told, well, we don't need you anymore and um, come and collect a check. And that was seven years of, uh, of being involved with that business. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was that was really, you can imagine, really, really hard to take. And I can remember going up there. I had flu. My brother had to drive me. I was so ill. And um, yeah, at that point, I, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to talk. I think at that point I could have talked to the other consultants, but during all that time, I wasn't allowed to even talk to anybody else at the business. And I should have seen it coming, but you don't because you trust people, right? Yeah. So that was how it started. So I called just six people because I don't believe in burning bridges and slagging people off regardless. And I called just six people and said, you won't hear from me anymore. These are people I've known a while. And they started saying, uh, you, you're going to set up on your own then, right? And I'm like, yeah, perfect. I'm, I'm divorced without settlement. My house is being sold out from under me and my kids are young and I'm going to be home. So I'm jobless, I'm homeless and I've got three children I've got to look after. Let's start a new business. Perfect timing. Um, but I ended up with five offers of finance from in the industry within three weeks. And at the point where I was my, my absolute lowest ebb, believing I was useless, um, the industry really came through for me. I mean, I'll never forget, what was her name? Lisa. She, she was the sales director, I think, at um, Warner at the time. And she recommended her dad invest his pension in me. And I, you know, it, it doesn't get any, but I'm getting goosebumps telling the story again. So it was incredible. And, and luckily, Trev Williams was a good mate of mine. And um, I think Paul Finnegan, who was his boss at Rage at the time, who had mm-hmm. 10 studios yeah. up in the north, he was going to invest. And then they wanted me to just do their recruitment. And then if I had any CVs left they didn't want, I could give them to other companies. I said, no, that won't work. Um, and they introduced me to an investor called Keith Jordan. And I believe me, I didn't need much money. It was just going to be me in a loft above my dad's office. Um on the chair and table that, that were bought my answers. That was fun. Um, and, yeah, in the end, we wasted eight weeks negotiating. And my solicitor said, can you find anyone else? <laughs> um, so I understand what it's like negotiating a, a funding deal as well, I mean, even though it was a long time ago. Um, every time the contract came back, something had been agreed, but something else had been changed. And in the end, he called himself my boss a couple of times. And I just thought, if this is my business, I can't have a boss. And I had to ring him up and just say, look, Keith, this has been an education. And God knows, you know, my dad, God bless him, um, who's still working at 89, um, made me rewrite my cash flow forecast three times to get them right. And I said to Keith, you know, this just isn't going to work. I've got to do this on my own. I went and got a bank overdraft. And he said, Kim, have the business, which he'd paid to incorporate at that point. And he said, have the business. You're going to be great. And off I went. <laughs> so... Just little old me in uh, on a borrowed chair in in an office, you know, a loft above my dad's office, and um, here we still are. So that's how we did it. And my kids kind of joined me for part time roles, you know, during um, uni holidays, etc. 
And now my eldest son has been our marketing manager for many a year. And my youngest son is our ops manager. My middle son is a company secretary because there's no way he would sit still long enough <laughs> to work in the business. And we've actually got a couple of people working for the business who were actually my son's mates. And this was never planned. And God knows I made the same mistake a lot of people do right in the beginning, recruiting friends. Um, yeah. And it didn't work out and it was hideous. <laughs> I would not do it again. But my, my twin sister is also my PA part time. So it's real family. Business. It's uh, yeah, it's funny how it all turns out. My dad always saying to me you are so lucky to have people around you you can trust and he's so right and, and so i mean obviously there's a, a long period to cover but i mean what, what have been the the highlights for you over those over the last 25 years of of um, heading up ABM? um the high points obviously winning awards is nice um and you know we're super grateful for that kind of recognition but it's not the be all and end all and i think the high points for me have been transient you know have been the, the the evolution of the business and how we've we've carried on over the years and see that the, the people that have been with me long term and even those that it's not so long seeing how they progress and seeing how they become so much a part of what makes opm opm sorry nathan one player mission um that for me is the real high point. Every time somebody achieves a bit more or, you know, we, we get them into a management role or they, you know, Claire's just changed jobs from being a, cons- a lead consultant um, to being L&D and now doing business development as well. And, you know, back to using all the skills that she's got in a new role and even being a small business, we were able to facilitate that. You know, Mitch has come back into a lead role. You know, John's been now doing this, he's just run an animation desk for what, 14 years now, I think, John, 15 years. I mean, you don't get many any more expert than that. And Dan, who is registered blind, now doesn't mind me telling people. Um, I don't even know how he does it. He's just, he humbles all of us. So they're kind of ongoing high points, I think. I mean, there's been amazing clients and amazing placements over the years. Um, but I think for me, it's the people and seeing the difference you can make. And, you know, when we get those really lovely testimonials from people that, whose lives we've changed, there's, there's one that really stands out who was somebody who was going actually going through a gender change, changing jobs. And their new company, he was, he was actually relocating, she was relocating. And they not only facilitated finding somewhere to live, but also introduced them to the right surgeon, supported them through the whole thing. And I just thought that was absolutely fantastic, you know, and hats off to Emma, who was working for us then, um, who's now working in the industry. Um, But she, you know, the the way she handled that was so sensitive and just so honest. And, you know, that was a real, you know, the the days when I started, that would have been completely unheard of. And these days, as I say, that, you know, more and more People are just saying, look, you know, we don't care. There's unconscious biases that, you know, I think Mitch was saying Meta recognised 15 different biases. God only knows what they are. Um, But that is the high point for me is just how we've got better as people in the industry and seeing people succeed in my business and seeing people succeed in the jobs that we get them in and hearing back from them, you know, over the years about how they're getting on. And and we've done that. You know, we're literally changing lives on a daily basis and it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. So if you could fax one piece of advice or encouragement back to yourself for answers, what would it say? Um, To believe in myself a bit more. And, you know, I had no idea. And it was interesting going around to see all the the, the top clients in the UK and doing the audit that I did back then. People thought I was a partner in that business. 
And I had no idea. I mean, you know, and I used to think I was a little fluffy kitten of a person negotiating. Apparently not. So um, believing in myself is something I really wish I'd, I'd, I wish I'd known that I was, you know, better than I believed I was. And that's not a big headed thing to say, you know, that's very much I was, I was almost too humble. And, you know, I certainly did let people speak to me the way that person spoke to me at that event, and just did not know what to deal to. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I guess part of that is just, you know, living longer, I'm 60 next year, I've lived a long time now. But that that to me is is really believing in myself and listening to what other people say. It was only that horrendous event, you know, completely life-changing event. I could not be more grateful for what happened. You know, disaster is opportunity. That's how I see it now. Because I had no idea those people thought that about me. I had no idea that they had that kind of faith in me. Um, I didn't recognise it. So I think, you know, getting that feedback and if you're looking for a new job or you've made redundant, ask people for references, and see what they really think, because you will be blown away. And just at the point where you think you're at your lowest ebb and you've been just kicked in the teeth and, and nothing you did meant anything, you would be amazed how you've touched people that you won't have expected you touched. And, you know, that's definitely the advice I'd want to give myself going back. And that I guess that's life. That's that's not even just career wise that, you know, that's in the whole of your life. Um, so especially for those people that are going through that stress and strain right now, you know, and it's not just the staff being made redundant, there's no support out there for bosses, none. Everybody focuses on the employees, um, but the bosses are going through this and potentially losing every, you know, their, their baby, they're losing everything their career has built up to at this point. And, you know, support for them is something I'm really, really keen on. Um, the HR people all get together. I'm part of the UK HR group. So, you know, that is a, a forum where everybody can speak really openly and, you know, under, you know, nothing goes outside of that room, clearly. Um, and I really hope that, you know, that the bosses out there have somebody else to talk to because that feeling of, you know, I've never had to make anybody redundant. I've had to let people go because they, they're not performing. That's been hard enough, especially when they're really nice. Um, you know, that one of the ones we had to, to, to let go recently, I, I cried for an hour after telling them. And I don't usually cry, but that really got to me, you know, on top of everything else, the hard, you know, how hard it is at the moment, the constant negativity in the press, the people saying they're losing their jobs and they've got families and everything. And then I had to, you know, because unfortunately, they, you know, they're not, they're not pets, they have to, you know, they have to be able to perform just like in any business. And that's a real conflict for an empath like me, where you can feel how they're feeling, but you know, for the business, it's never going to work. Um, so, you know, be aware that the, your bosses are going to be feeling something very similar, but even worse because they're perceived as being the ones that could control it and they can't, they absolutely can't. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what I'd say about that. We'll, we'll end it there. Thank you very much, Kim, for taking the time uh, to tell us your story and that of One Player Mission and uh, to give us your insight about the challenges the industry is, is, mm. has been facing this year. And, uh, and of course, thank you too for your ongoing support of the MCB Develop 30 Under 30, which, <laughs> you, which has been going on for years, I know. And um, yeah. we'll be celebrating on November the 29th in London. And which tickets are still available, tickets, by the way. Um, go to IRL event, IRL-event, I should say, .com, or the MCV Develop website for more information on that. Um, are you coming along, Kim? 
Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't miss this one. It's absolutely brilliant. We love this event because so, so many other events are around, you know, there's lots of talks and there's, you know, obviously we've got the 30 under 30, but there's a massive awards, very expensive dinner and all that kind of stuff. And this is just all of us getting together and being together as a community. And, you know, it, for me, that's wonderful because I'm just I'm just part of the gang then. So and I get to meet all the 30 under 30, which is, you know, breath of breath of fresh air sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. And this year it's a festive party, so you know Christmas jumpers encouraged. Oh, yeah. oh I'm ready. <laughs> I am. Believe me, Mrs. Christmas is coming. <laughs> I don't have a Christmas jumper. I need to get one. Oh no! Now I've got Christmas dresses, jumpers, earrings. You name it, I've got a lot. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh well, we look forward to seeing it then. Um, yeah. Um, okay then, we'll leave it there then. So thanks again. Thanks again for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. Oh well, so. thank you so much for asking. I'm I'm absolutely honoured. I really am. This is um this has been something I've I haven't done before and I'm I'm absolutely privileged. Thank you so much.